Hi, I'm Lizzie Jack and this is The Scientist and Thee, a podcast brought to you by the Illawarra Health and Medical Research Institute, or IMRI for short. IMRI is a not-for-profit charity based on the University of Wollongong campus that supports health and medical researchers in the Illawarra-Shoalhaven region of New South Wales, Australia. We bring together scientists, doctors and health professionals to solve our greatest health challenges through research. We also help nurture the careers of early stage scientists and students completing their PhDs. In this podcast, we're going to talk science, health and how to decompress after a long week in the lab. In each episode, we'll get to know the person behind the lab coat. And you might be surprised at the random interests of a microbiologist or a neuroscientist. This episode is called The Scientist and the Sensei. My name's Sam Adikari and I'm a fourth year PhD student at the Illawarra Health and Medical Research Institute. Sam Adikari is at the tail end of his PhD at IMRI. He's been working under the supervision of Dr. Debbie Watson and Professor Ron Sluter, investigating graft versus host disease, commonly known as GVHD. GVHD is a side effect of bone marrow transplantation, which is a necessary procedure for people that get blood cancers such as leukemia and lymphoma. What happens is when you get those cancers, you undergo chemotherapy to kill the cancer, but sometimes the chemotherapy can actually destroy your immune system. Bone marrow transplantation aims to give those cancer patients a new immune system from a healthy donor. Bone marrow transplants are pretty common in treating blood cancers, but unfortunately GVHD is also quite common. It occurs in around 50% of bone marrow recipients. GVHD develops when the bone marrow from a healthy donor, which can form immune cells and a new immune system, actually attack the cancer patient that doesn't have the immune system because they've undergone chemotherapy. And it causes very severe and deadly symptoms. It's sort of like the opposite of transplant rejection. Rather than your body's immune system fighting off a foreign object, it's actually the transplant fighting off the body. The bone marrow is the graft and the body is the host, hence the name graft versus host disease. The disease causes an itchy and painful skin rash. It also damages the gastrointestinal tract and the liver and about 15% of cases are lethal. 15% is a very high mortality rate. GVHD was first discovered in the 1960s, so around 60 years ago. But researchers still don't know what causes these cells to attack the body. The real issue with GVHD treatment is that we don't really know why some people get it and why some people don't. If we give two people bone marrow transplants, we don't know why one might get it or might not. And that's that's the real trick that we're trying to find out in a lot of GVHD research today. And that's why it's still so prevalent 60 years later. A lot of GVHD research and cancer research as well actually goes on using animals and these are usually mouse models and I know that has a bit of negative connotations with a lot of people but um, it's really something that it's the last resort and it's something that we have to do so 
in my particular study, we use a humanized mouse model where we use mice that don't have an immune system. I inject them with human immune cells and then they develop something that looks like a human immune system. And so then these mice slowly develop GVHD and we test different st therapeutic strategies against them. How do you feel when you have to inject mice? Is there any kind of ethical dilemmas? Yeah, that's 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 a really good question, and and I think I, I'm I'm okay with it because, and I don't know if this is quite well known with people who aren't scientists, but for us to use animals, there's a lot of real stringent ethical criteria that we have to consider. So just to even get accepted, we have to follow um, three main principles in an application form, and they're called the three R's. So these are replacement, reduction, and refinement. So replacement's talking about how we've considered other ways to do the research without these animals like we could could we look at cells can we look at other things like tissues from patients reductions talking about how we have the minimal number of animals so we don't we don't use too many we don't use too few and refinements talking about strategies to minimize the impact of the experiment on the animals themselves so to use animal research, there's a very thorough process that we have to talk to an animal welfare committee about. And only after we've done this real thorough research and ethical considerations are we actually able to use them. Now, for those of us that heard episode one, I spoke to Rochelle Belez about her stem cell research. And what I remember is that stem cells, in the simplest of terms, are the ones that can change into any type of cell. So then once I have stem cells, I can then grow them into any cell type I want. So I grow brain cells. Basically what this gives So me my thought process was, instead of using animals, researchers could use stem cells to research GVHD, right? So the point of bone marrow transplantation is actually because your bone marrow contains stem cells, which form the immune system. There are people at Imru who do stem cell work, but the reason we choose animals is because because you use stem cells in a culture, say, that might not necessarily reflect how it would work in the actual... When Sam talks about stem cells in a culture, he's referring to the artificial cultivation of cells, like what you might find in a petri dish. Stem cells in the organism are the naturally occurring stem cells. Your bone marrow already contains stem cells. It's what makes up the immune system. But our bodies are also made up of heaps of different cell types and systems, all interacting with one another. Researchers can't fully replicate the complexity of the human body in a culture, so the findings wouldn't be as accurate. So this is where the humanised mice come in. Because they have an immune system that reflects the human one, we can predict if therapies are going to work in humans or not. While they still don't know the exact cause of GVHD, Sam's research has been really focused on a certain subtype of cells called regulatory T-cells, or Tregs. We've actually shown and we know, know that these regulatory T-cells or Tregs can actually protect against the disease because Tregs are kind of like the police officers of your immune system. So they stop everything from getting too crazy. They stop your immune system from getting overactivated. We looked at people with a certain genetic mutation and people with this mutation have regulatory T-cells that 
uh, are more suppressive, so they're able to control the immune system more than people without the mutation. We thought that if we used people with the mutation, so more suppressive Tregs in this mouse model, the mice would develop less severe GVHD than if we use people without the mutation. But as it goes with science, sometimes the opposite happened. So people without this mutation caused um, less severe GVHD than people with it. Just like GVHD itself, this Treg mutation is sporadic and it's hard to pinpoint. You might remember my interview with Dr. Nick Gerrity, where he talked about this misconception of science. So I think there's a misconception about science that we walk in, perform an experiment, get the results, analyse the data, when normally it's you walk in, perform the experiment, fail the The theory of Sam's paper was that mice with more suppressive Tregs should have fought off the GVHD. But that's not what happened. A lot of the times when we're doing these experiments, particularly with my mouse model. So my mouse models go for about 10 to 12 weeks and oftentimes I won't know what's happening during the model. And then I'll do my analysis after 14 weeks and I can't tell you the amount of times that I've just, where it really hasn't shown anything and it's just kind of ruined my week. But that's science. As part of Sam's PhD, he also teaches undergraduate biology at the University of Wollongong. And when he's not in the lab or at the front of the lecture hall, he's down in Nara, practicing and instructing karate. So when I'm not in the lab or writing my thesis, one of the things I like to do is practice karate. So I am a black belt in karate and I do often go down to Nara to teach a class. I, I find karate's been really good as being my sort of outlet. We can have sparring and all that sort of stuff, which kind of alleviates some of our frustration. I just imagine you at the end of a week, like just chopping through a board. <laughs> <laughs> I got into karate in primary school, and it was really a form of not only self-defense, but also a way to learn discipline, respect, and all those sort of values. I was also quite a shy, quiet kid, and I think my mum and dad wanted to me to kind of grow out of that a little bit as well. <laughs> it's completely different to being in the lab. My karate is known as Shotokan karate, so I've been practicing that since I was nine, and since I've been doing that for such a long time, as I've progressed through the belts and as I've been there longer and longer I've actually sort of taken over a teaching role as my development continued on. With karate we have the belt system, black belt's the highest coloured belt that they have so white being the lowest, black being the most senior but even within black belts you can still develop further levels known as Dan. So you can be a black belt Dan 1 which is me but you can also become a black belt Dan two, three, four, and five, I think, is the highest. Do you think you'll ever get to five? <laughs> Getting to five takes a lot of dedication and a lot of practice, which I have not been giving it at the moment due to my PhD. <laughs> I really do enjoy teaching. Teaching is one of the things that I've enjoyed most about my PhD as well. So kind of teaching 
the discipline with karate, teaching, the respect, and teaching self-defense is something I do get a kick out of and I really enjoy doing. I find that no matter what you're teaching, you, you use a lot of similar techniques. So in the lab, if I'm teaching an, um, a certain procedure, the student a lot of the time won't get it on the first go, so you have to thoroughly um, explain things repeatedly show things and that's a part of the learning process now if I take those things over to karate if I'm teaching a new um, movement or a new kata so that's a pattern of moves that we have to remember in a certain order it'll often take those students a lot of time to pick that up when I teach other people it definitely enforces the knowledge in my own head and I think that's really how all the things that I've learnt over the past, what, 17 years of karate, I've kind of stuck with it. Do you have like a, an absolute goal in mind throughout your scientific career? Originally coming into my PhD, I definitely wanted to have my own lab, be a primary investigator and have students to supervise and all those things. And that interest is still very much there in me and it's something that hopefully one day I can get to. Um, other than that though, the, one of the new things that I've picked up is a real love for my demonstrating and for teaching itself. Um, so that could also be another avenue that I want to take that I hadn't really realised was a thing before. That's all for The Scientist and The Sensei. Thank you so much to Sam Adhikari for chatting to me via video chat about his love for research and karate. To find out more about what we do at IMRI, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IHMRI or lowercase. You can also follow me on Twitter at LizzieLurlene97. That's L-I-Z-Z-I-E-L-U-R-L-I-N-E-97. To donate to health and medical research at IMRI, visit imri.org.au. Thanks for listening.